I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. Welcome to my podcast where I invite you to join me each week as I shine a light on some of the very best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offer advice to those that want to make in the UK. But before we get on to today's episode, I just want to tell you about an event that I've got coming up. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers and British-made brands from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. Taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London, we've got over 200 exhibitors inspiring talks just like the ones on this podcast and it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. Registration is now open and if you go to mib.live forward slash podcast VIP I've got a special something for you when you register. I hope to see you there and now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Make It British podcast. On today's show, I am speaking to Simon Middleton, who has been voted one of the world's top 30 branding professionals. Simon is certainly the person that I go to whenever I want to find out anything about building a brand and storytelling, which is so important to those people that make in the UK because there's some fantastic stories to tell. Simon, as well as writing several books on the subject, including one that I always recommend that people read if they're starting up a brand that's made in the UK, which is called a Build a Brand in 30 Days, and I'll link to that in the show notes. But as well as writing books about branding and teaching others how to do it, he's also launched two made in the UK brands himself. The first one was called Shackleton, which he very successfully launched following a mass, a big Kickstarter project. And he'll tell you about that in the interview. And the second, more recently, called Blackshaw. So let's go over to the interview with Simon. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Simon, hello. Thank you for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Hello. It's very nice to be speaking with you, Kate. I've been dying to get you on here for quite a while now because you are a specialist in something that I know a lot of our listeners um, find not only interesting, but also struggle with as well. And that is the topic of branding. So, do you want to first tell everyone what your background is and why you are the guru in that subject? <laughs> okay, well, the, the very short version is that um, I spent quite a long time, for, I started as a copywriter in advertising. And from, from that, I became uh, a creative director in quite a large advertising agency. And then I quit the agency in order to pursue the, the, the particular specialism of brand. And I did that in 2005. So for the five years running up to that, I'd been working with clients and, and with the agency team developing our offering around brand. Now, it might seem almost incredible, but actually back then in a regional agency, I was in, in Norwich, um, brand was very little spoken of and people outside of the advertising and marketing world didn't really use the word brand 10 years ago. 
15 years ago. Yeah, that's true, actually. Now, yeah, course, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's hard to believe now because everybody uses it all the time. Yeah. And we know, we know what, well, we more or less know what it means. Well, what does, um, actually, 15- no, that, that's a very good point. Do you want to tell me what it does mean? Because I think it means different things to different people. So, uh, yes, it does, of course, because we've we've made it up. It doesn't actually exist, <laughs> Bran. That's the. Um, it's you can't touch it. Uh, you can't um, you can't own it. Really, it's it's a it's a, I describe it as a as a construct it's a kind of intellectual and emotional construct that we all collude in so the the shorthand for that the easy word to use is that brand is meaning um so to give you the the most simple example of all um and i've done this at dozens and dozens of workshops all around the country if i ask people to say what does john lewis mean Mm. And uh, people will fire out lots of words, but those words will always come down to three essential things. And those three essential things are quality, service and value. Now, it's no coincidence that those are the three words that John Lewis uses about itself. And that's why John Lewis is such a fabulous brand, because the words it uses about itself are exactly the words that other people use about it too. Yeah. So that why, makes for a very strong brand. So why are they su- so successful in doing that? What is the secret there to them? The secret there is that, that they do their actual offering as a shopping experience is precisely aligned to what they claim it is. So they say we offer great quality products. Well, they undeniably do. They say we offer great service. And you only have to, you know, spend a happy Saturday afternoon in a branch of John Lewis to realise that that's exactly what they do. Mm. And they say they offer value. Cynic might say, well, it's not very cheap in John Lewis, but that's because cheap and value are not the same thing. Value is about a fair price for an exceptional product or or experience or service. They offer terrific value. And um, so the secret of John Lewis is that they've created a meaning which we all believe in. Um, Where brands go wrong, and it's an interesting place to contrast it, is where brands claim to have one meaning, but our interpretation of it, as again, collectively, is different. So uh, let's think of an example, and it's just as a a popular example at the moment. Um, Facebook claims a certain set of meanings to do with (laughs) community and communication and so on. But the popular perception now of Facebook is those things, but is also tainted by the idea that Facebook is in some way mishandling our data and, 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 you know, uh, careless with our privacy, et cetera. So the brand promise of Facebook and the brand perception of Facebook are at odds with each other. And that to me, that means a brand that's in trouble. So that's what brand is. Brand is a set of meanings. We collude with it. And my other favorite example, and it's such a simple example, is is Volvo cars. Now, in 1905, I think it was, the people who founded Volvo set out with it, and they declared it back then. In 1905, they wanted to make really safe cars. And that might sound silly because cars only went about 15 miles an hour back then. But the fact was that they were still very dangerous because people didn't understand them and would walk out in front of them and so on. So there were, road safety was an issue even back in 1905. <laughs> Volvo said, we will make cars with better brakes, etc. 
where safety is at our core. Now, 110 or 115 years later, Volvo is still identified with safety. Yeah. And that's because they've stuck by it. And so, for example, Volvo were the first company to announce a couple of weeks ago that they were going to put a, a speed limiter on all their cars. Volvo uh, announced that a, a, a few months ago that from, I think, 2022, they, will, they won't make any cars that only have internal combustion engines in. They'll only make hybrids or pure electric. They announced not very long ago that they were going to make, they were going to replace all the leather in their luxury uh, cars with vegan, the uh, vegan leather. Oh, really? Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So every couple of months, Volvo does something to remind us of their commitment to safety and trust, which is a related quality. And the reason I love this example so much is because it's been absorbed into popular culture. Now, some of your listeners will know what I'm talking about, some won't, but I happen to be a fan of of uh, television detectives. And, uh, okay. Now, my favourite television detectives, Go on, who in is no it? particular order. Okay, so there's John, there's John Luther, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, in Luther. There's Jimmy Perez in Shetland. Yeah, I haven't um, watched that yet. Okay. There's the Welsh one, whose name I've forgotten, in a programme called Hinterland. And... Uh, top of the pile is Kurt Wallander, the Swedish one. Right, now, yeah. The, and the, I mean the British version of it with Kenneth Branagh in it. Okay, so they're my four favourite television detectives. What do they have in common apart from being television detectives? They all drive Volvos. And oh, yeah. the interesting thing from a brand point of view is not, is why do they drive Volvos? And the reason is because the writers or the people making the programmes have thought, what's a shorthand s- symbol to represent safety and trust. What can I put these detectives in as a mode of transport that immediately makes you know they're the good guys? And it's clever, so, clever. And so that's why brand means something. And it's not about logo, it's about meaning. Yeah, because I think a lot of people can compl- conv- uh, sorry. I think a lot of people confuse um brand with logo or with tagline yeah. and don't realise it's much yeah, more it's not, than that. It's not the same thing because um, I don't even know what Volvo's tagline is, strapline. I've, I've, I've no idea. Obviously, I know what their badge looks like, but that's a badge that just simply reminds you that this is a Volvo. That's all. Uh, it's not The logo isn't the brand. The brand is... The logo reminds you of the brand values. That's all it does. And it only does that if, it's, if you've seen it enough times. Um, but the meaning is much more important. So how does this translate? So you've you've launched two clothing brands of your own. How does this translate yeah. to um to, to clothes? I can see how it works with things like cars, but how would how would you start off with a brand with a clothing brand turning that into a brand rather than just another line of clothing? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you briefly about mine, um, but I have a, a new favourite example, which I'll also tell you about. Briefly on mine, I, I started a brand called Shackleton uh, a few years ago. It actually started as a musical instrument brand. I got into uh, fashion by, by accident. Um, I started, I decided to, for reasons which I won't bore you with, I decided it'd be a good idea to start a factory making banjos um, <laughs> because I, lo- I always loved factories and I wanted to make, I was involved in music, although I don't play the banjo. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, so we started this factory, very small, three people in it in total, manuf- making 
partly by hand, but with the aid of some machinery, um, making banjos. And we sold a lot of them very fast. And it was called the Shackleton. And the reason we called it the Shackleton was because 100 years ago, the explorer Ernest Shackleton uh, was in the Antarctic. His ship got crushed by ice and sank. He, he insisted on rescuing the banjo for morale-boosting purposes while they were stuck on the ice, which they were for the part of a year. It gave a good story and a good name to a banjo. But what happened was that people started buying it and then saying, what else have you got that's connected to Shackleton? So I found a picture of a Shackleton wearing a piece of knitwear, a lovely chunky jumper, and we had that sort of replicated, and that became the first Shackleton clothing product, and it sold like the proverbial hotcakes. Now, the reason it sold like hotcakes was only partly related to the fact that it was a nice jumper. It was a very nice jumper, and it was made in Britain, and I wear them to this day, and I've got some that are five or six years old, and they're still going strong. Um, but the reason people wanted to buy it was not because it was a nice jumper. They wanted to buy it because it was a Shackleton jumper, because the story of Shackleton, the character of Shackleton, the meaning, if you like, was gave them a warm feeling inside. Right. It also gave them a story to tell, etc. That that was brand. We accidentally created a brand. Yeah. Um, and Shackleton is still going strong. I'm no longer involved in it, but it's now become a, a luxury technical outdoor brand and it and uh to the best of my knowledge it's it's doing well and it's sold in high-end stores like harvey nichols and so on i think that's a really good point you made there simon about the fact that yes it was made in in britain and also yes it was a lovely jumper tick tick and so many yeah. people that are starting brands um they are making beautiful products and they're making them in the uk but they might not be as successful as they could be because actually they need more they need that that brand so so how would someone you obviously had the yes. great story about Shackleton and that evolved and you you gave your customer what they wanted that that worked into that story how would someone yes. start from scratch if they wanted to develop a brand that to, to, to put a story behind the products that they were developing okay well I think you, you stories are best uncovered than invented um so I'll give you an example uh my favourite new example in a second, but I'll just refer to my other uh, clothing brand, which is uh, Blackshaw. And now Blackshaw is a brand I started a couple of years ago, and it's men's casual wear uh, based on uh, sort of maritime workwear, the sort of thing worn by fishermen and people working on, on you know, in yards and so on. And it's inspired by the fact that I live here in Southwold. Now, that's... That has been more challenging. And the reason it's been more challenging is because at the moment, it doesn't have any meaning. It's just a story that I've created and a name. Blackshaw is the name of part of the harbour. So uh, investors are kind of going, yeah, that's interesting. You've done this before. Looks interesting. But yeah, they're not, they're not fired up by it in the same way. But Shackleton, like, wow, the story of Shackleton. Um, but so I spent a lot of time thinking hard about why one was such an easy buy-in by people and why the second one has been less so. So I'm being very honest yeah, with you here because, yeah. you know, that's the nature of, I think, I, what, what I need to be. But, but I've now uncovered it. And what I've uncovered is that in the case of Blackshaw, it isn't sufficient for us to manufacture in Britain, which we were going to do, and to make nice clothes at a certain target market and to say it's inspired by the coastline. That isn't quite enough. 
So what we're going to do instead, uh, we hope, this is all, you know, subject to the realities of, of everyday business and fundraising and so on. What we're going to do instead is make it here uh, on the coast, you know, within a few miles of where I live. Right, yeah. Because then suddenly by, by zooming in, by focusing, instead of saying this is inspired by the coast, but it could be made anywhere in Britain, what I'm now saying is this is made here by actual people in this place it's sort of born from its it's created in the place it was born if you see what i mean yeah. or raised in the place it was born now that's a, a, a sharp shift in strategy and it may mean that we have to go to a much smaller collection it may mean that we have to start with one item yeah but but all of that will un- reveal itself over the next six months i'm still working on this so and by um, doing that, do you hope to then appeal to local people to buy it or to appeal to a much wider audience or is this to Oh a much a much yeah. wider audience, but it was it's it's not really about it's not really about appealing to local people to buy it, although that would be nice of course, but that's not the point. The point is really that it seems like a small difference between saying, Here's my lovely black brand and it's made in Britain and it's inspired by a place. It seems like a small jump to saying, here's my lovely brand and it's made right here yeah. on a small scale, uh, you know, in a slow made way with lots and lots of uh, attention to ethical supply of fabrics and so on. Um, and it seems like a small step, but actually it's quite a big step in terms of excitement. So I've already got investors saying, yeah, that, that story I get that really? story excited. So that's been the difference and that's got brought the investors to you for yeah, that. It's it's a key difference. And of course, I'm still in the process of sorting the details out. So in a way, I'm talking about it too soon, but I'm not going to, I can't tell you the details because we're not quite sure how it's going to work. But to give, to go back to a better known example, which is a, to my mind, an almost perfect example of uncovering story rather than making up a story is Hyatt Jeans. Do you know? Yes, of course. Yeah, making yeah. jeans in Wales and they only make jeans. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the key thing to me is, I mean, the thing about do one thing well and we only make jeans, that's an interesting thing. But to me, that, that isn't the key thing. The key thing is that David Hyatt um, obviously had a great background, both in the market, world of marketing and advertising, but also with Harry's, which yeah. he created his The key thing for me is that his mission is give 400 people their jobs back. And it's such, because the, the, for people who don't know, the, 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 there was a big jeans factory in this town, Cardigan, in the west of Wales. And sometime in the early 1980s, I think it closed down, 400 people got made redundant. And he's, you know, his, I, I don't know if he's got it tattooed on his arm, but he certainly wears it on heart on sleeve, is I'm going to give 400 people their jobs back. And he's at about 25, I think, now. <laughs> yeah. And you have to wait about six months for the jeans as well. But they're worth waiting it's extraordinary. for. extraordinary. I, look, I was on his website yesterday, on the Hyatt Jeans website. I kid you not, I saw a beautiful pair of double indigo jeans, you know, where the warp and the weft are both dyed, so yeah. they're kind of super dark blue. Um, and he said, we're only going to make 150 of these because we've only got enough fabric to this. They've, we found the fabric in California or somewhere, and we're going to make 150 of these double indigo jeans, but get in quick. 250 pounds a pop, I think. I thought, I'll have to think about that for a couple of hours. I went back on the website, all gone. Really? And oh, amazing. It's sold 150 within half a day, and you're going to have to wait at least three months and probably six for them. So, and why is that? The reason is we believe him, 
And the reason we believe him is because he's doing more than just saying, I'm making genes. He's saying, he's giving meaning. So I was almost prepared to pay that much money for a pair of jeans because I wanted to be part of the story of giving vulnerable people their jobs back. As it turns out, I missed the boat on that particular <laughs> one. You have to Probably move just as well because I can't time. afford it right now. <laughs> but but, but um, that's, that's the difference. That's, that's why Hyatt is already, in my mind, a great brand, yeah. even though it's only a few years old. And it's why they and can charge it, £250 pounds for a pair of jeans that are really good quality yeah, exactly. and that people are worth, worth they, they're prepared to wait for. And I think that's the important thing. And this slow yeah, fashion exactly. that we talked about well, before. We... Fact, not only prepared to wait for it, but I prefer to wait for it. It's, it's, that's, that's, you know, it's almost better to wait with that. Yes, because of the excitement now, when they turn up. Yeah. Now, it, has a perfectly nice little logo, which is a sort of graphic, simple graphic of an owl's face, right? But I really don't care what that logo is. And I don't think David Hyatt does either. It's, it's, it's the, the logo and the name are irrelevant. He could have called it anything. He could have, you know, he could have called it cardigan jeans. He could have called it anything. And it doesn't matter. The logo could be anything. It doesn't matter. The important thing is the meaning that he's created. And, uh, which is why I'm such a, you know, a fan of what he's done because he's a true brander in in a in an industry full of full of not altogether authentic brands. Yeah, that's true. But I think in the future it's going to be those sorts of brands who are going to succeed. I mean, we're seeing it at the moment, aren't we, with um, retailers and a lot, a lot, you know, a lot of shops having trouble at the moment because they're just selling more of the same stuff and it's all cheap and it's all made overseas. You're starting yes. to look into this more, aren't you, with what you call your contributive business and how that will affect all sorts of organisations in the future? Yes. Um, just as a – can I come – can you ask me that question again in about 30 seconds? Yeah, Because okay, I've got me... to go and take some bread out of the oven. <laughs> 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 Do you mind? No, no, at all. I'll be right back. Be right back. <laughs> I thought something was beeping. <laughs> are you? Cook- I am sorry. Why are you cooking? I'm very impressed. It's uh, rye sourdough. Oh wow! Oh gosh! You can't spoil that. I, I, it actually needs another ten minutes. Funnily right, enough, so okay, I'll put it back perfect. in. Perfect. Um, I'm a very good sourdough baker. Are you really? <laughs> oh, amazing. That's almost worth keeping in that bit, Simon, where you say that you, you even bake your own sourdough bread. I am so impressed. <laughs> There's no money in it, though. I tried to turn it into a business. That didn't last more than a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> what I had customers. Really? I had customers, local customers. Yeah, I actually did start a, a, a little business doing it. Um, and uh, I was cycling around the town delivering it. And I had customers, but... The, it, it's really hard to make a, any money out of it unless you do it on an industrial yeah, scale. Yeah, I bet it so, is, um, yeah. I now do it as a hobby. Unlike clothing, which you can do, um, not necessarily on an industrial scale. So so we were talking about Hyatt yes. then and how they have, um, how you, people are prepared to wait and wait for these jeans and how, yeah. you know, this slow fashion movement, I think, works so well for British-made brands because – People are prepared to wait for the quality. And although you can get, you know, fast fashion made in the UK, at the same time, people are prepared to wait for that British quality. Now, that's something yes. you're looking into more, isn't it, with something you call, or do you want to talk, tell me, tell everyone about it, the contributive uh, business? Yes, it's, it's, it's a concept 
that I call the contributive business. And to put it at its simplest, it's something I've been exploring alongside doing other things. And I'm, I'm, I've written a sort of pamphlet about it. Uh, and at the moment, I'm talking to publishers about a, a more substantial book. And I hope it will turn into something bigger with speaking about it and maybe a membership organization. But essentially what the contributive business is, is a concept that says um, up until this point in history, business, trade, has all, always been about the, the, the key thing has been about being competitive. So you have to be, you make a better product than your competitor, you deliver better service than your competitor, you, uh, you're more affordable than your competitor, that sort of, but it's all about we win sales and we win them against competitors. Now, of course, that's never going to go away, but I think we live in an era now where business needs to think about something more than being competitive, and the word that I coined for it, uh, the word that's so difficult to remember and say, is contributive. Um, it may not be the best word in the world, but what it means is that I think it's about the idea of businesses realizing that they have to make a contribution to society and to the planet and to the world. Um, so I'm not suggesting that businesses uh, shouldn't be profitable. Of course, they should be profitable. Otherwise, they're not businesses. Um, but that alongside the objective of making profit and, and selling things and building brands should be an objective of somehow contributing to the good of of people and the planet and i've coined the phrase contributed business so what i'm suggesting is that at a board level for example there should be a director with a with a specific responsibility to look at contributive issues and but it goes beyond I mean, sustainability is very popular at the moment so that's 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 with that sits within contributed business and so does corporate social responsibility, which was very much in trend about a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. But I think it goes beyond that. Instead of it just being on the edges of a company and saying, oh, we better do a bit of CSR, we better do a bit of inclusivity, we better do a bit of sustainability, what I'm saying is that you build it in fundamentally at the beginning of your business so that, for example, if I manage to get Blackshaw off the ground properly, I want it to be a contributive business and I want, therefore I want it to uh, contribute to the local community in some way. I want it to contribute to the wider community in some way. I want to it to not just do as little harm as possible, but actually to improve the planet and the ecology of the planet in some way. I want it to treat its its employees better than they would expect to be treated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in other words, I would rather have a, a smaller profit margin and pay the living wage or above it than, than the, than the opposite of that, etc. cetera. Uh, there there's any... a whole host of things that, that a contributed business probably ought to build in, but that's what I'm interested in developing at the moment. Trying to work out methodology, that helps businesses, large or small, to do that. And that's a, it's a sort of side project, but I'm hoping it will develop. Are there any brands, um, aside from Hyatt Denim, then, that you think are – who would be your ideal contributive business at the moment? Who does it well? Is there anyone that manufactures in the UK that does it well? The honest answer, I don't know. Um, the, but because I haven't 
done sufficient research yet. I mean, there are companies that will behave well, and there'll be some that behave not so well. Mm. Um, but I, I'm not sure it'd be fair to pick them out. Right. However, the, the most famous one brand that I can think of in our industry is is not British, but that Patagonia. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Which right from its outset said it wanted to give a percentage of its money of its income towards uh, supporting the environment and environmental projects and can, has continued to do that for, I think, what is it, 25 years? Um, so they are, they've set a benchmark that's quite powerful. Um, there are others, of course, um, a but they were way ahead of their time. Yeah, there are a few businesses that do that now, and it almost feels a bit like a me too, doesn't it, when someone suddenly says, oh, I'm going to give 1% of profit to to this charity, and it doesn't feel genuine. How do you do that and still make it feel genuine and that you're not just, oh, I've seen, it's like with the Tom's shoes and they came up with the one-for-one one idea, you know, yeah. buy a pair of our shoes and we'll give a pair to a, to a child that needs them. Now there's lots of businesses yes. that are doing that one for one. So how would how do you come up with a concept for something that's new that's not been done before? I think this it's it I'm not suggesting for a second that this is a new idea. All I'm trying to suggest is that rather than it being a bolt-on, it be something that companies build in right from the beginning. Now Tom's is a good example, although that whole one for one thing has I mean I've I've read some critiques of that as well, where, you know, some, so that it's actually had a negative impact on potential employment in the places where they're supplying the shoes to. Oh, gosh, of course, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but I don't know it's sufficient facts there. It's not for me to crit criticise it because I don't, I don't know. But it's all I'm, what I'm saying really, that the potential of the idea, I think, is that when one starts a business, instead of thinking, what we've really got to do is to compete, survive, beat the, the competition and get bigger and better and faster. What I'm saying is that we are in a time in our history now that we need to think, I'm building a business and it needs to do something more than that, right from the beginning. Yes, so yes, definitely. It's not enough to just think, I can get away with paying the absolute minimum wage. It's not enough to think, I can get away with doing the the amount of recycling that I'm required to do, uh, but cutting court, you know, it's, I think we have to start thinking bigger and better ideas than that. And uh, I, I think businesses ultimately, I don't, my, ch my children are uh, in their thirties, right? But um, the generation that follows them, the generation that is teenage now, when they come to start making businesses and investment decisions, if you like, in the future. Imagine a 15-year-old now who, let's say, in 15 years' time, and they've got some, perhaps they've earned some money or whatever, and they're in a position to start investing in companies. They won't, they simply won't invest in companies that are do damaging the environment or are socially damaging. They won't, they, because, because they're smarter than that. Yeah, and they've they're, grown they up with it. And they've they, grown up. Mm. They, yeah, they, they want a future. They don't just want a new phone they want a future mm. um and and they and more specifically they want their children to have a future and if we don't do something soon there won't be a planet to be profitable in so um 
Yeah. It's that's what the contributive business is about. It's not an original idea. It's just me trying to shape it, shape some things that are going on and turn it into a theme that people can, can understand. Take an yeah, that people can understand. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I say I, I get so many people contact me saying, you know, I'm launching a brand and it, and the and its USP is going to be that it's made in Britain and it's made in the UK and that is yeah. it's just not enough now and. No, it might have no. been when I, you know, when I first started Make It British, you know, ten years ago or what have you. Um, there were yeah. so few brands that were made in the UK, but now there are so many, and so you need to have something else. And, and I love the idea about your brand being made, you know, lo locally as well. Actually, the story is it's named after this place in Southwold, and it's made in Southwold. And there's your oven beeping again with your sourdough. <laughs> it is, yes, and it's definitely cooked this you time. You better go and get it out because oh, I don't want to be responsible right. for you spoiling your sourdough bread. Mary has uh, very kindly stepped away from her desk and is retrieving my bread from the oven. Uh, but that just shows <laughs> I'm going to keep that bit in, Simon, because it shows you live the life. You live, you walk the talk. And again, that is so well, important. <laughs> You're making your it own sounds bread. Like we're Terrible pair of old hippies, doesn't it? But we're not actually. But <laughs> no, but that, I think that's but anyway. brilliant because you know your is about that. Now it's actually, but you know, being every representing your brand and representing what you're talking about, and actually, you know, it's like I wouldn't go out um, not wearing loads of clothes made in China if I was talking about make it British because I'd look like a complete hypocrite. And yes, of course, yes. You, know, you have to. Um, you have to be genuine, don't you, these days, and walk the talk. Otherwise, people start seeing right through it. And it's like you're saying about Facebook right at the beginning. Everyone's turning against Facebook for exactly that reason, as they're not coming across as entirely genuine now. I think that's right, yeah. And hopefully they, you know, hopefully they'll change, uh, and hopefully they'll they'll learn from that response. But I, the drive to growth is so powerful for for once once companies reach a certain place that the, the drive to expand the market you know milk milk the market um is such a powerful thing that it's very hard for a company especially once it's got more than one owner yeah, to, to to fight against that which is why i think patagonia are worthy of praise because i think that the way they've stuck to their principles is is very important mm. and, and there are others um but patagonia is the most famous and which is why i'm so feel so positive about hyatt um where David Hyatt doesn't say, I'm going to save the world. It, you know, it, 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 that because that's too big, too bland, too difficult. What he says is a very simple thing. I'm going to give 400 people their jobs back, which is, I mean, talk about a measurable goal. It's, and I think he'll do it. It might take him 10 years to do it, but he, mm. it's, I think it's, it's a wonderful goal because it's so specific. It's so measurable. It's so socially oriented. He didn't need to do that. He could have made another Howie's, but he's he's decided not to do. You know, he's decided on a particular route. You know, I couldn't be a bigger fan if I tried, really. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's. Uh, we have to pick our, our sort of in the you know in any given industry. I suppose you have to sort of pick heroes, and uh, I think he's he's a good one. And young brands starting out can learn a lot from the fact that he's got this simple mission. It's more than a story. It's a, it's a it's a mission of a, in a in a real sense of the word. Um, and uh, it it's working commercially as well. So, you know, that's the genius of it. I think on that note, Simon, I think that's perfect. Um, yeah, mission. Good. That's what the brand and mission are so intertwined these days, especially if you are 
making locally yeah. and making in the UK. I think that that sums it all up, really. Yeah. You've been Good. an absolute star. Thank you very much um, for doing this podcast pleasure, with me. And we're going to see you on the stage at Make It British Live, aren't we, on the 30th of May. I'm looking forward to it very much indeed. I've, I've enjoyed every Make It British Live that I've ever been to and I've been going to them from the very beginning. And so, you're such yeah. a fantastic keynote speaker that I wanted to get you back again this year because I know that well, so you, many you. people um, struggle with this concept of brand and you've got such a fantastic way of putting it across. So thank you very much and I look forward to seeing you in May. Super. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.